So today, uh, I will be talking again. So, <laughs> so if you have naughty questions or difficult things to ask, you can ask the Sarah after. <laughs> so the talk I will be uh, giving tonight will be about uh, refining the mind, to get refinement of the mind. And then for that purpose, uh, I will use the chart that was given to you about three weeks ago, and then we will review what um, we spoke about the sila, and then we will add <coughs> something about the samadhiti, that is the right view, and uh, we will talk also about uh, balancing the faculties. So those are the main things that we, that we will discuss. So to, you see, today I have a plan, no? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the chart, no? So better use it. So I was thinking that uh, I will make use of it. So you, you, you have, no? So for those who have not been to Asia, I don't know if you know, but anyway, the representation of this image is a stupa. So if you don't know what is a stupa, it's a symbol that the Buddhists are using for, um, for uh, an expression of the Dhamma. And I have brought also an example of uh, what it looks like in the uh, reality. It looks like that. So that's a small one. <laughs> you see, this one is golden color. <laughs> well, some people, they, they work with, with visual, no? So, so for those who like visual, then this is the symbol that, uh, uh, that is represented there. So this is more simple to, to look at than this one. So that's, uh, it is a symbol, no? So everywhere in Asia, you have that kind of things, and they are sometimes they can be very big. So, for example, you have if you go to Burma, then you have the very famous uh, Shwedagon Pagoda. You heard about that, no? Maybe you have seen picture, <laughs> you have been also. So, uh, this is very impressive, and uh, it is very impressive as an architect, a piece of architecture, and also to what it represents what it represents for a society, what it represents to a culture, and what the culture, what the, the, the values of a culture can give to the, to the society itself. I think sometimes in our Western culture, we lack a little bit of those kinds of uh, external symbols. So, Uh, we'll take the example of Burma, no? the, the Shwedegan Pagoda is so famous. So uh, when people are going there, they use that place you know, as a place of pilgrimage and as a place for uh, just to remind themselves the, it, it is used for many purposes. But uh, when they go there, then they, make, uh, they clean themselves and they dress properly 
and then they try to set up a good state of mind and they think about they, they think about giving things and <coughs> things like that and when they arrive there then some people they do meditation some people uh, they just wash the statue some people sweep the floor some people speak with their friends some others they just smoke cigars and things about it think about uh, many kinds of things so it's uh, it's very interesting because uh, it gives rooms for all kinds of uh, attitude all kinds of uh, of people we are all different so uh, it is difficult to adapt the dhamma to one person especially and to see it's only like that so that kind of setup is very good in the sense of background and uh, and that's very interesting because uh, um, because they have that background, you know, they, when they go there, then they remind themselves about the values, about the Dhamma. So, uh, one day I was walking around the, the Sri Lagan Pagoda and, uh, with uh, one of my friends, and then we were so amazed <laughs> to the faith that the people were having, you know. They go there and they have so much faith in what they are doing and they forget about everything. It's like uh, Walt Disney, you know, they just... They are just completely uh, kind of, uh, they think about something else. They think about the uh, spiritual values. They think about uh, something sacred. So it's very, uh, sometimes we need that kind of uh, refreshment. So my friend, <laughs> when we were walking around, he was saying, oh, it's amazing, you know. Those people actually, they don't need psychotherapy. <laughs> they yeah, they just go there and then they, they, they get very happy and they spend a few hours and then they go back home. Sometimes they come with their family and so when they go back home, then they are they are they are settled, you know. They have uh, they have come back to the essence of their life. They have come back to the to the deep values that they have given. So sometimes they, they can uh, they can be upset with all kinds of you know all kinds of life problems you know even death and things like that. But then they go there and then they remind themselves about uh, what they know about the Dhamma. So it is very important, you know, whatever state of mind, whatever situation we find ourselves in life, there is always a, uh, there is always a, a possibility. There is always something that can pull us out of that, and uh, that's. Uh, very important because sometimes we get discouraged and we don't have anything to uh, <coughs> to get uh, inspired again. So those people they have that kind of things, and it's very strong, you know. It's very strong. For example, just today, you know, there is a group of Burmese people that came to visit uh, the Sado, and uh, we have uh, we have a calendar with the picture of the of the pagoda in the in the house there. So I just noticed <laughs> that uh, some people br uh, uh, purposely brought, you know, the jasmine flower, and uh, just uh, made a kind of garland and and hanged it on the calendar. So that's amazing. Do we have something like that, you know, in at at home, something a calendar or a photo on which we will hang a flower with respect and with veneration and with a, a reminder of uh, spiritual values. So this is the this is the type of thing that uh, that that is necessary for our spiritual spiritual life. So, what I want to say is that if we don't have those things, 
you know, if we don't have, uh, when we go out, we don't have the, those reminders. So where will, will, where will we find that kind of uh, inspiration? It will have to come from our art. We will have to build a kind of, uh, <coughs> kind of pagoda inside of our art. So that's the, that's the goal. Yesterday, uh, there was a yogi that came to give a report, and then I was, uh, I was very happy to hear her. And she said, oh, today I come to realize that uh, actually I have a small kuti, a small house in my, in my heart. I have a home there, and it's a home of peace. And it is the peace to realize that the breath is not mine and that the mind is not mine either. So there was a kind of a deep peace that she, that she was able to go to, you know, just inside herself. So this is the kind of uh, thing we need to develop and we need to, uh, to remind ourselves that which, whichever situation we find ourselves in life, there is always something that, uh, that, can, uh, that, can, uh, that can help us to settle down. So now the, another example that uh, I wanted to, uh, to show to you is just a, another symbol. So with this, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> what what is that? <laughs> uh, you, you cannot say no. <laughs> if you say it's a funnel, you will be right. <laughs> if I say it's a pagoda, why not? No? A pagoda it, it can be just a symbol. So if I call that a pagoda, then this can also be a symbol of a pagoda. But actually, it's a funnel. No? <laughs> Will be practical. What is the use of a funnel? What's the use for? What is the use? What do we use that for? We use that like if we have a, you know, if we want to pour water in the bottle, a small bottle, then we put it and then, then we just go and uh, we, we don't need to care so much about, uh, about the quantity and the, 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 the speed, uh, the velocity that uh, the water will get in, or with the same with, the, with honey or oil. Or so uh, we'll call that the, the funnel principle, okay? <laughs> it's, you will not have a course on science. It's very simple. So the funnel principle, where, how, do, how can we uh, find a definition of that in Buddhism? In Buddhism, it's called uh, from Olarika to Sukuma, from the grass to the subtle. So this is kind of important, from grass subtle, like uh, for example in the teaching or in the practice or in the reality, we have the gross reality and then we have the subtle reality. We have, for example, we have the, uh, the Suttanta method, this is kind of general, and then we have the Abhidhamma. So one is uh, gross, I cannot gross, but uh, it's kind of general, and the other one is more subtle. And, uh, then we have, <coughs> we have uh, 
uh, we have now Marupa, you know, the aggregates of uh, matter and the aggregates of mind. So the aggregate of matter, that is the body, this is more gross than the aggregate of mind. And then if we take the aggregate of the body, then uh, uh, compared to the four elements, it is gross. And the four elements is more subtle. And then if we look at the four elements, if we see kalapa, then the four, the four elements are gross and the rupa kalapa are more subtle. And then if we look at the rupa kalapas and we see the upada rupa, you know, the derived materiality, then the, the second one is subtle and the first one is gross. And if we take Vedana also, the sensation we experience, then the gross and the, the sensation of suffering, they are gross, and then the very subtle and pleasant sensation, they are, uh, they are subtle. <coughs> then in, in the order of teaching also, then if, if you look at the Four Noble Truths, then the first noble truth of suffering, this is kind of uh, gross, and then the truth of the origin of suffering, this is more subtle. So this is to say that, uh, that with this, you know, with this we don't need to we don't need to always. It doesn't work. Li- it doesn't work like this. No, it works like that. So normally, the order is from the gross, and we go to the subtle. From the gross, then we go to the subtle. So as long as we are able to, uh, to, uh, to get, you know, what we want inside that, then we are okay. It will come out eventually as a subtle thing. So. Uh, so then. Also, like if we have uh, agitation, or then this is the first of the, the of the citta nupasana. Then, if you see that the, that the mind is agitated, then you see that the mind is is agitated. So, like that, from the gross reality, it goes to more subtle reality. And also, if you see that uh, there are hindrances, then the hindrances are gross. And then, when you come to realize that there is no hindrances, then this is also subtle. And uh, if you look at the teaching, then they start with uh, with generosity, and then it goes to sila, <coughs> and the, uh, virtue, and then it goes to um, to bhavana, to the the practice of meditation. So those three, the practice of generosity, the practice of morality, and the practice of meditation, they are more subtle from one to from one to the other. And uh, in the practice of meditation, then. Uh, if uh, if you deal with the hindrances, then this is gross, and then when you are able to go in the first jhana, then it is more subtle, and then from the first jhana to the second jhana, also this is more subtle, and then from the second jhana to the third, etc., to the fourth, and then from the rupa jhana to the arupa jhana, this is more and more subtle. But the point is that uh, when we understand that principle, that means we can start from anywhere. That is, if we have to start with the sila, then we work on the sila. So that means we are able to keep we are able to keep ourselves in the dhamma. If we are if we have to deal with gross activities, and as long as we are aware that this is uh, this is correct, then uh, then this is okay. And then more and more we will we will get more subtle. So so we are not all the same. Some people, 
they have natural cilia. They don't need to absorb the precepts and they don't need to, uh, to do that kind of thing because sometimes it's because of the culture, sometimes it's because of the education that they have got, sometimes it's because of their parami and their nature. Naturally, they will not harm anybody and they will, they will not break the precepts. So those type of people, they don't need to, to be talked about sila. It is just a natural thing for them. Now what should I do with my with my phone? Oh. <coughs> I have another gadget. So this is a light. So I will put it here. <laughs> yeah. so it looks more real, no? It looks more like a pagoda. <laughs> so so <laughs> in Sri Lanka, no, but this is like the principle is it's about the same, you know. So in Sri Lanka, you have the pagoda, you know, and uh, it's huge thing, very, very big monument, and it looks like that, except, except that the light is not so, is not so big. And, uh, and then for, this is all of 2,000 years, you know, so it covers a big area. In the middle, you have the huge thing of a pagoda, and around you have a platform. And then the people, they just go there and they meditate. Sometimes they go there and listen to the Dhamma talks and... Uh, so it's a place of Dhamma, and this is all for the 2,000 years. So anyway, um, they don't have the light like this. But uh, in Burma, they all have, uh, like if we comp uh, I thought about the light, because when we, when we look at this one, then it, the, the top is the Nibbana. Huh? So I was thinking, oh, maybe the light is missing. Because in Burma, on the pagoda, all the time there will be a light. And the light will they will keep they will keep it on you know day and night even the day, daytime they will keep the electric light, uh, and also on the top of the pagoda there will be a stone, and uh, depending on the condition on the uh, on, on the condition the stones will be different like in the Shwedagon pagoda, then you have a diamond, and it's a huge diamond one of the biggest uh, diamond in the world, so people have so much faith that they <coughs> you know they, uh, they they put all kinds of uh, valuable things there. So, uh, but the diamond is rep it represents the purity, it represents uh, clarity, it represents uh, the light and uh, all those uh, quality that that uh, means uh, wisdom and understanding. So in some village, uh, they cannot afford, you know, to uh, to have diamonds, of course. So they have uh, they have a quartz, and uh, very often you will have uh, nicely carved, uh, you know, pure quartz on the top of, uh, of those village pagoda. And uh, in some villages where they are very poor, then they will have, uh, sometimes they will just have a, a, a glass bottle. And believe it or not, I have even seen a Coca-Cola bottle <laughs> on top of a pagoda there. So what is the what is the meaning? What is the representation of the of the light there? I don't know. Maybe Sarado can give more detail about the light of wisdom. But what I think, you know, is like uh, he will say that. Uh, but uh, what I think is that uh, it is samaditi. You know, the right view. Huh? So on the chart, it is represent all that. This is the, all the, the like. The chart is normally div we can divide it in f in three sections. So normally. On 
lower down you have the sila, the, the aspect of morality. In the middle you have the samadhi, all the aspects of uh, concentration. And on the top you have the aspect of uh, the wisdom. And uh, the wisdom is called with the diti, you know, the samaditi. And the samaditi, you have many of them, many, many kinds of, uh, many, many levels. So you have many levels of samaditi, and we will not go into the detail about that. But uh, the first type of uh, diti, you know, the samaditi, diti means a vision, means it's a, it's a kind of a perspective that we get on the things. It's a, it's a, it's a way of seeing things. So uh, what, what, why is light important? Why is a vision, why is a perspective uh, needed to whatever we are doing because it's, it, it, is a, it permits, you know, it gives us the possibility to see the whole structure. If we don't see anything, we cannot, we cannot understand what is, what, is, what is there if there is no light. And if we don't understand also what we are doing, then it's not so good, you know. So uh, they say that the samaditi, <laughs> the right view, is coming first. So first, we need to understand what we are doing. This is very important. And the most uh, simple thing that is uh, uh, describing samaditi is, um, is uh, being able to differentiate between uh, wholesomeness and unwholesomeness, akusala and kusala, you know, the good actions and the bad actions. So this is the first uh, the first uh, the first uh, explanation of it, and um, then also it is called the understanding the of cause and effect. So if we can understand about cause and effect, then also this is part of that uh, first uh, understanding, and uh, cause and effect re- relating to what uh, if applied to the. Um, the course of actions, uh, if applied to the uh, kusala or wholesome or akusala on wholesome, it is the understanding of uh, the root cause of uh, wholesome actions and the root cause of unwholesome actions. So, to understand the w- our actions, all kinds of actions, body actions, physical, uh, verbal action, and mental action. We have to understand and discriminate. Oh, that's one. That one is going to lead me to uh, to unskillful, uh, unhappy states of mind, and th- that one is going to lead me to uh, skillful states of mind. <coughs> so we have to see that, and also we have to understand the root cause of it. And the root cause is uh, is uh, the three factors in each um, in each division. That is the that is uh, for the for the wholesome. Then you have the non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. And then for for the unwholesome, you have the greed, hatred, and delusion. Loba, dosa, moa. So, because we have the chart, <laughs> then I was thinking to, uh, uh, yes, to refer to it, and uh, and then we will go back to that uh, design, and 
will start again like last week. I spoke about the sila. So if you don't, if you are not interested, or if if you don't need that, then you can continue to meditate. But last week, uh, talking about the sila, uh, I gave only four definitions, and we'll, we'll, I will tell, uh, I will remind you again. So now we are coming back to sila and. Uh, and uh, one definition of sila is um, is the abandoning of all unwholesome states. The abandoning of all evil. That's all. This is called good sila. They say also that uh, the characteristic of sila is. Uh, is um, composure and composure. You know, you, you are just composed. So we can say also a characteristic of sila is integrity. When somebody has some kind of integrity, <coughs> then we we can we can we could say that uh, somebody has sila. And there is also a commentator called Buddha Gosa that uh, relates the word sila to uh, sitala. This is the Sinhalese, the Sinhalese people, they use that word. And uh, it means, like in the Bali, it means cool, the coolness, to be cool, cold, you know, coolness. So although it is not uh, etymologically related, then it has much meaning in the sense that uh, somebody who practices sila, he is very cool, he is not trouble, and uh, he is very balanced because the sections, both uh, physical and uh, and uh, mental, they are peaceful. So the Visuddhimagga, uh, they give uh, dozens uh, of explanations and dozens of uh, of divisions about sila, and uh, they can be very complicated, and we will not enter into those <coughs> very subtle details. But one definition that I that I have read from a Nyana Tiroka, a German monk, he says he describes sila as morality or virtue is a mode of mind and volition manifesting itself in bodily and verbal actions. So that's kind of interesting, if we think about it. He is also very poetic, I think, because he was a musician, I I was told. So he is using the word mode. It's a mode of mind and volition that manifests itself in body actions and verbal actions. So a mode of mind, that means... You know, the type of uh, mood, the type of uh, mind we are having, this is going to uh, manifest itself in body activities and uh, verbal activities, whether good or whether bad. So the important thing is is the mind. So that's a crucial factor. So last week we had divided, you know, we decided to, uh, I mean, we used the, 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 the division of sila, into uh, four aspects, and uh, the one, the first one was a uh, sila. It is written there. Mm-hmm. So the sila, not exactly, but it is explained. So the sila as restraint, and uh, the second one was the sila of um, 
Oh, this, yes, the sila of restraint. No, no, sorry. The sila of non-transgression. The second one is sila, sila of restraint. The third one is the sila of uh, consciousness concomitant, the chetasika. And the fourth one is the sila of uh, chetana, the volition. So the non-transgression Transgression is just the avoidance of uh, breaking the precepts. And uh, the restraint is when we restrain ourselves to not break the precepts. And, uh, and then the chetasika is, uh, is the state of mind, the motivation by which we will be uh, doing the actions. That is, if we are uh, motivated by greed, hatred, or delusion, or if we are motivated by... Uh, uh, non-greed, non-hatred, and uh, non-delusion. And the other one is the volition that we are uh, that we are having when we perform such um, actions. So uh, the division is done like that because volition is crucial in uh, into the into the determination of whether an action is uh, is good or is not good even with the monks precepts which are many it is written there you know that uh, monks have uh, 200 something precepts so even with those rules many of them they mention that uh, if you break the rule without the intention then actually it's not a, a, a transgression so sometimes the actions can be uh, not so good as a result, but if the intention was not to break the precept, if the intention was not to arm another being, then actually the, the precepts will not be broken. So that's, a, that's an important thing. And also then th this also applies to... Uh, uh, even to the five precepts, or the, to the, pre the normal precepts, if there is no intention to break the precepts, then the, the sila is not broken. So also the, the eight precept, <laughs> like uh, in the morning they said you repeat sometimes the uposata sila, no? So this is the the uposata. If you don't know, it was uh, it was uh, it is taken from the old Vedic Indian tradition, even before the Buddha. Then they had, uh, you know, in their history, in, the, in their culture, they had uh, the habit of uh, doing some special rites and some special ceremonies on the full moon days, and then on half moon, and then also on the quarter moons. So uh, because that uh, habit of uh, gathering together and making something special was already in the culture, the Buddhists they decided to, to use that uh, kind of uh, uh, thing to, you know, to, uh, to incorporate into their, um, into their practice. So in Buddhism, like the Uposatha, it could be the translation of observance day because in, because uh, it's a day where people are observing uh, special uh, precepts and special uh, regulations. So it's not like if you come back to your own practice, it's not something that you need to keep all the life. 
Like it's something that is important. Maybe when you practice meditation, it's easier not to eat in the evening and uh, and uh, things like that. So they, they, they are called the uposatasila, the, the, the eight precepts that you are observing here. But there is another type of eight precepts that is maybe more simple and maybe more important because the five precepts are kind of fundamental to us. And uh, in that other uh, classification of sila, then the five precepts are mentioned. And uh, the name of that sila is the is the Ajiva Ajiva Maka Ajiva Attamaka Sila. That is the uh, Sila having the right livelihood as the eighth precept. So then they include the right livelihood. So then it's uh, good for us because already we will have covered two of the of the of the case there. So here you have the you have the precepts for the lay people and then here also you have the purification of livelihood. So those uh, eight precepts, the uh, the eighth one is um, is about the right livelihood. So we need to live and we need to earn a living. So this is uh, eight precepts. And then also for the celibacy, on the year it's a full celibacy, but uh, on the normal five precepts, then it's just, uh, it is more... Uh, more adapted to the lay people, and uh, and then on with the right, not the right, but the with the correct speech, the the correct speech, or the abstention of the wrong speech or the incorrect uh, uh, verbal actions are added to more uh, correct way of talking because uh, verbal actions also are very important. So. What we say influence other, and then we can arm other people with our speech. So when we are careful to say the truth, and then when we are careful to speak politely and not in a harsh way, and not to do bad, bad thing and all kinds of, uh, you know, behavior of uh, verbal things, then, uh, then, then we get the benefit of uh, the sila. And what are the benefits of the sila? The benefits of the sila is just uh, to have absence of remorse and um, to have uh, absence of uh, fear and to have a blameless state of mind. So that's important. It doesn't mean that uh, we will be uh, always jumping on the ceiling, but at least we will be calm and we will be kind of contented with what we have done. Also, it's all about purification. If you notice, you know, then it's just a purification of uh, virtue, purification of the mind, and then also, yeah, all kinds of, uh, you know, purification. So, you know, no, I don't know if some of you may think that uh, we will do some soap commercial or something like that. But it's very important. We have to purify it, and uh, 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 the spiritual life is a, is a way of purity. So it is important to understand that. And also purity of mind, that's why we are practicing meditation.
So now we will explain. Uh, I don't know. We will explain about the one sutta taken from the Anguttara. So that sutta is called the refinement of the mind. How to refine the mind? And then they give the example of a goldsmith or an apprentice of a goldsmith, and uh, he wants to. They want to make you know, gold ornament and jewelry. So what they do, the first thing is that uh, they go and collect uh, some earth or some places where there is gold, huh? and then, uh, then they clean it. First, they have to clean the earth and the sand and the gravel and the grit by washing it and then by draining it and then by you know, by getting rid, rid of the impurities. And then eventually they are able to make uh, gold ornaments. So they go step by step. They don't start to make the gold ornaments out of the mud, you know. They have to scheme a little bit. And uh, the way that, that they describe it is that uh, first they take the, the, you know, the, 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 the material, then there is a first cleaning, and then they remove the grass, sand, and rocks, and uh, uh, grass impurities. And uh, after that, it's not pure enough. Some impurities are still there. So there is a second washing. And then they, re then they get rid of um, more subtle impurities, like, um, like uh, grit, or I don't know. Anyway, more subtle impurities. I forgot the words. But still, the, the, the goal has not come to a, to a satisfactory level. It is still uh, impure. So they have to do a third washing. So they go and uh, use a throw, or they use something you know, that, is, uh, <coughs> that is scheming the bad, uh, the gross things. So after that uh, uh, third cleaning, then what remains is just the gold dust. So when it has come to that stage, they take the gold dust and they put it in a melting mold. And then they, they, uh, uh, they put the mold on the fire and then they warm it. And then by the process of uh, melting the gold, it is also cleaning. But still, you know, like impurities are getting out of, uh, of, uh, of that little by little, but still it is not yet pure. So. Uh, they start again the, the process another time. And then at the end, what remains is just the pure gold. And then with the pure gold, they can do all kinds of uh, jewelry and very nice things because the, the gold is, uh, is malleable and workable and <laughs> it's easy to, uh, to transform it and to make it whatever we want to. So the Buddha compares, you know, the goldsmith, he compares that to also to a meditator. And uh, he says that uh, in the same way, a meditator first removes the gross impurities, that is the bad bodily and verbal and mental conducts. Mm, this is a kind of first, uh, first process of cleaning. Then after that, the person removes still more subtle impurities that consist of the of sense desire 
hatred and ill will. So after that, as a third time, I mean, just uh, with the sequence, then uh, there are still impurities at that moment. And uh, then the third step is to remove thoughts about the home country, thoughts about the family and relatives, and also thought about our own reputation. And uh, after that, mm, After that, uh, after that, after that, I think it starts to be quite pure. <laughs> I, I have to look in the book to uh, to be precise. But uh, at a certain point, you know, when it reaches that stage, then um, then the mind is. Uh, I, I have written what is the result. Just to just to be sure, <laughs> because it's important, you know. So then. You know, when the mind has come to uh, to a purity, you know, when the mind is able to concentrate, uh, we can assume that the person has attained a kind of jhanic state, or you know, is very close to that uh, to that uh, state of mind where the mind is very clean and very uh, uh, pure. So then, to whatever mental states realizable realizable by direct knowledge, he directs his mind to this uh, state. So you see, you understand, no? You understand that it's a, it's a process of, uh, it's a natural process. First, there are all kinds of bad, you know, even physical behavior that we need to control. And then when we avoid that, then we have to deal with our mind. <laughs> and then when we are meditating, then little by little, those types of uh, wandering thoughts, they get more and more subtle. So we can, here we can also apply the, 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 the final pr principle from God's reality. We come to the subtle stage. So here, what, what is the meaning, you know, that he, he directs his mind. He can direct his mind to the, to, uh, to the knowledge and to, uh, uh, to what he wants. That means that uh, when the mind has come to such a degree of purity and concentration, then he can choose any object and he can look at it, you know. So uh, he has three choices. He can use that uh, state of meditation, you know, like the, this is a kind of samadhi, so the, the, the samadhi or the jhana can be used to have a peaceful abiding. That is, we can just remain peaceful and determine the, the, the time that we are going to remain in that state of uh, tranquility. Then the second possibility is that uh, people who are, who are interested in psychic powers and things like that, then they, they, they can use that uh, mental power to, uh, to do all kinds of uh, psychic uh, uh, acrobacies. And then the third uh, possibility is uh, the practice of vipassana, that is the liberation. So we see that uh, the training 
At the beginning, it is exclusive. That is, we have to uh, we have to exclude. We have to put. Uh, we have to make abstractions of other things, and we have to focus on some on something. So, it is exclusive in that sense. We just limit our object to something very limited. But once we are able to do. Uh, to get the mind concentrated on something. Once the mind is able to, to keep uh, one object for a long, long time without any uh, kind of interference, you know, without suppressing anything, you know, then that purity, that, that strength can be used for whatever we want. So from a limited type of object, you know, because uh, there was a question last week about the uh, inclusiveness and exclusiveness of uh, meditation practice. So first we start with the uh, inclusive, you know, we just uh, remain focused on one thing, excluding everything. But after that, we can use the, that uh, focusing to investigate any kind of uh, <coughs> phenomenon. So the second uh, sutta that I will uh, describe is just following this one. It's a different one, but uh, it still speaks about uh, about a goldsmith. It refers to uh, the goldsmith, and uh, it's about um, balancing the fa- the faculties in a way. You know, so they say that a goldsmith, or somebody who is learning that skill or a meditator should pay attention to three items alternatively. So he, ha- he has to alternate to putting his, ta- his attention. So sometimes the meditator will give importance to the item of concentration. So sometimes we will be concentrating on something. You know? We will develop concentration. So sometimes also the meditator will give attention to the effort. He has to put some effort. So sometimes we have to to give predominance to the effort aspect of uh, the practice. And the third uh, aspect is that sometimes we have to to develop the equanimity, that is the power to observe and the the power to uh, just to look on with uh, objective mind. So those three factors, the factor of uh, concentration, the factor of effort, and the effect, the factor of uh, equanimity, have to be observed alternatively. Because if we don't alternate, and if we do only one thing, you know, all the time, then there will be a kind of unbalance. So they say that uh, if we just develop uh, concentration, then somebody who is very concentrated, only concentrated, then the tendency of the mind will be to go into indolence. You know, the, the mind will go dull <coughs> because you, it will get bored and it will lose its concentration. So this is the, this is the, um, the, the disadvantage or, or this is the, the point we have to be careful. And uh, for the effort, if somebody is giving too much effort and only effort, he does not look at the, uh, other factors, then by giving too much effort, then the mind will become restless. And uh, if we give attention only to the uh, item of uh, equanimity, only the looking at the things, you know, then uh, the tendency will be that we will lose the concentration. 
So uh, then they compare that again to the goldsmith. And they say that the goldsmith, when he is uh, refining his gold and when he is preparing to, uh, to make ornaments, what he does with the, with the process is that he is building a furnace and he is making a fire. And uh, he puts the melting pot there on the fire. And from time to time, when he is purifying the gold like that, from time to time he has to blow. You know, he has to blow on the fire so that, uh, so that the fire gets... Uh, energetic and the fire gets uh, lightened up. And from, t from time to time, he has to put some water on the fire because it's too hot, you know. So he has to put uh, some water to cool it down. And uh, from time to time, he just, uh, when everything is going very smoothly and very evenly, from time to time, he, have to, he has to, to, to step back and just to look at the fire. Because if he is to blow all the time, you know, and put a lot of wind to the fire, if he is to do that all the time, then the, the gold will get burned up. You know, the, everything will burn because there will be too much <laughs> of uh, too much of uh, blowing. And then, if he is putting water, you know, without alternating, without seeing the conditions of the fire, if he is putting water all the time, then it will cool to the extent that uh, there will be no more fire. And the same thing with um, uh, if he is just looking at the fire without uh, doing anything, then if he is not doing anything, then the fire by itself will go off. So it is the same with our practice. <coughs> we have to see sometimes, we need to step back and to see now which factors are too much, which factors are not enough. It's a question of listening. It's, it's, a que it's very practical. And uh, we have to be careful because this is our practice. Nobody can tell us, oh, now you concentrate. Of course, sometimes, you know, specialists can tell you, oh, now you concentrate too much, now you push too much effort. We have to see for ourselves how, how to balance those, uh, those three factors. So we have to be very energetic. And uh, when, you, when we come to interview with uh, Park Sardo, then in, he, he emphasize viriya, you know. He says you must strive and you must put effort. And this is very good because in our society, I mean, now the, we are so comfortable, you know, that uh, we don't, we don't, uh, sometimes we need to be pushed a little bit because uh, life is kind of easy sometimes, you know. We forget about uh, spiritual uh, things and we forget to, to hurry up a little bit. So I think, I mean, not only me, but uh, the point is that uh, he has... Uh, many things to offer and uh, many things to teach. So if we are too dull, then we will, uh, we will, not, uh, we will not do uh, what we can learn, <laughs> what we can learn here. So those three, those three, um, <coughs> Those three attitudes, they are like the effort and then also the equanimity, the, 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 the power just to, uh, not the power, but just the, the fact of looking at the, the things and um, the, the, the concentration. This is three factors. And then three factors that we can find also in the, in the five indriya, you know, the, another, another classification of the, of the, of the path. Is the five factors of um, five factors, five faculties? No, the five faculties. So, we, if we add the faith, you know, 
Like I was saying at the beginning that the Burmese people or the Asian people, they have a lot of faith because naturally they are born in a context where spiritual values are there. And uh, they don't need to be told, oh, now you have to practice giving. Or you know, when they see somebody, they, they are very generous by art. So that type, and also for the sila, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, they always get reminder for, from the outside. So if we can develop that quality of sadda, you know, no, we, if we can remember why we are here and why we practice, and you know, just to uh, just to get inspiration, then that quality of sadha will be developed. And uh, if we balance it also with uh, with a little bit light, you know, of understanding, then the faculty of uh, wisdom also will be there. And then <laughs> by adding the the effort, and then by adding the concentration together with the mindfulness. Mindfulness is always there. Then we have those five factors. So we have, all the time, we have to balance. We have to balance those five factors. So just to review, you know, the end, the end of, uh, of the talk is that, so we have to remember the, the, the principle of the funnel, no? The funnel is like that. But if we put like this, you know, then cannot, it cannot keep. So if we want to use the, the funnel, you know, like we're not using, we have to put it like that. Because it comes from the, from the grass to the subtle. So it starts with the sila, and then it, it ends up with, uh, with very high quality of, uh, of samadhi and with very high quality of wisdom. And then we should never forget that the little light, you know, a little light of uh, right understanding. This is very important. And uh, I have to tell you where, where I took that. Is this is I took from that, you know. This is a night light. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's meaningful for you because, <laughs> because you know now that light, you can keep it day and night. Now, no break. <laughs> so it starts, it starts with, uh, with a little light. This is only 10 watts, you know, so... Not very strong. So if you practice more and more, then you will develop the 20 and uh, 40 watts, and so you will end up eventually with 100, 100 watts, you know, in your, in your mind. So I think that's, uh, that's it for today. So if you have questions, you please ask. Yes, yes. The only comment I can make about that is it, it, it is exactly like that, no? Like uh, the dana, we can do a lot of dana, but if the mind is not pure, we will not get benefit for, 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 for ourselves. So we can give dana, but when we do generosity, sometimes the motivation is not pure enough. No? And sometimes also, even when doing generosity, we get defilements, we, we think about things that are not very suitable. So 
then the benefit we get out of, of that, because it's, uh, we have to analyze in a way of benefit, so the benefit we get by practicing meditation is more than the be benefit that we, will, that we will get by giving. It doesn't mean we should not give, but uh, if we give with the, with the, with the, uh, with the real b good motivation and we, if we can keep that purity of mind when we are doing the actions, then the results we will get is, uh, is much more, you know, and then uh, it's uh, it's also like giving is very important. It's a uh, it's a quality. It, it's actions that we do, and uh, those actions we can remind ourselves of those things. So that's why you know those. Uh, it's called chaganusati, the practice of uh, recollec uh, recollection of generosity. So sometimes if we are very uh, low-minded, and <laughs> but we can remember in our life. Sometimes only, not all the time, but we might have done just a small little action, you know, that that gift that we had given to another person, make the other was very useful and uh, make us very happy and also make the other person very happy. So just one, then if we do a little more and more, whenever we recollect that kinds of things, then we get very happy. And uh, with, that with that happiness, then we get uh, support for, for our meditation. So I don't know if it answered your, your question. So I think it's like this, you know, like the method, like I try to be simple <laughs> because the method here that the Sarado is teaching, it is very detailed and very, uh, sometimes if we are not accustomed to the Pali and to the technical terms of Abhidhamma, then it's difficult to grasp. So we have to remind ourselves that whatever practice of meditation we are doing is going to bring us some good results. Yes. Do you have any suggestions for trying to balance I'm able to have either very concentrated, but my body gets very tense. Yeah, so so we have to balance, you know, like the faculties that are spoken about are mo mostly mental faculties, you know. But actually, we have to balance all, you know, all aspects of our life. Sila. So the, the body is also concerned a little bit with sila. So to see that uh, we are healthy, and to see also that we are relaxed, and the, that the, you know the, we keep the body in uh, conditions that are going to be of most uh, advantage to the work we are doing. If we neglect the body completely, you know, and to say no, no, we don't care about the body; it's just a material thing that is going to end up in the cemetery, then it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not very really good. It's, it is important. So the same thing, you know, uh, if we see that we are tense, then uh, when we are tense, then the work is not as efficient that if we are relaxed and if we are, you know, uh, comfortable. This is a fact. So when we realize that uh, in our meditation, you know, like we talk about the, the from the gross aspect to the subtle aspect. So it is the same thing. Like if we start with a very subtle object of anapana, 
you know, like I, I gave the example of the nail last week. The anapana is like planting a nail, and the nail is very small. So how do we know the nail? We know the nail just by holding the nail. Huh? And then once the nail starts to be uh, driven into the wall, we can let go of the nail and then just bang on. Uh, we can let go, you know, the, the fingers can let go of the nail and bang on the on the nail without holding it. But this is very subtle. If, you know, we spend hours and hours just to feel the nail and then we just keep on banging on our fingers, you know, for <laughs> then the, we have to do something, you know. We have to think, oh, you know, I had better do, you know, something for myself. So we can relax a little bit and then we can we can balance the position and then also maybe put, put spectacles and, you know, things <laughs> that are going to... <laughs> Not to miss the so the point is that uh, the point is that the nail I mean the representation of the nail is the representation of the anapana of the breath itself so this should be the object huh? but the body itself this is the supporting conditions for the nail huh? and this is also the supporting co- condition for the respiration to happen if there is no body and if there is no physical body then there cannot be breath you know breath is just the air so it becomes breath when the body starts to pump it in and out so uh, if we relax and then at that time we are not necessarily aware of the breath we can be aware of the breath when we are breathing when we are breathing in we can be aware of the body when we are breathing in and breathing out but if we give attentions to the tensions and then also to the position of the body this is fine because the body is going to be relaxed the body is going to be balanced and then eventually the meditation is going to be very uh, precise and concentrated but the thing is that uh, by giving attention to the body you know like the physical po- po- position if we are you know balanced and by giving attention to the body it, this is the the four element meditation if we keep continuing doing that being aware of the body itself this is the four elements it's not aware, it's not uh, anapanasati but anapana the process of breathing, this is also included in the four elements. So if we start with the body, and then we are aware of the breath as the, as the air element, then this is included in the, in the four element meditation. So if we see that the, our tendency is just to go back to the body, and we can really, we cannot, you know, that get that subtle uh, uh, breath, then we, we can change to the four element meditation. Is it is it uh, is it according to your question? Um, well, I'm curious if, uh, like, if I'm sure you probably had a past that stage at some point too, where you're trying to figure out how to balance, uh, you know, the, the effort and the concentration and keeping the body uh, relaxed. Yeah. Was there anything that kind of helped you that Well, I mean, everybody. Everybody, we all know by ourselves which type of exercise and which amount of exercise, walking or you know, stretching or what is suitable for us. We all know, you know. Here we don't give uh, gymnastic courses or yoga classes. People coming here, they should be, you know, knowledgeable enough so that they will take care of their body healthily, you know, in a balanced way. So we have to use our own sense of uh, <laughs> of balance. And same thing with the diet, you know. We we don't tell the people, oh no, you, now you eat only only one like this and only one like that, not more. You know, 
Some people like to eat more of uh, potatoes and some people like to eat more rice. It's up to them. We, everybody has to see what is their own, uh, uh, is their own uh, needs. Because also, uh, you know, that type of meditation is that it is very detailed. And uh, the goal of the meditation is to understand what we have been doing sometimes, you know, to understand ourselves. So if before we already had some practice of meditation, this method, you know, that the Sanado is teaching is so detailed and so precise that it will give us the background of uh, classification, and it will give us the support to understand what we were do- what we were doing, and then also by understanding what we are doing, you know, like oh no, this was the practice of metta, or this was the practice of the four elements. If somebody practiced the the vipassana, by knowing what we are doing, then we can uh, refine our uh, our knowledge of it we can refine our experience of it because it will be more detailed. So the, our previous practice is not something that we have to put completely aside. We have to put it completely aside just to specialize in, in one thing. But eventually, all that background has to be used. And then by the experience we gain with the analytic knowledge, we will be able to say, ah, okay, this is what I was doing before, or this is what I was doing. This is very helpful, I think, in that sense. Also, like uh, concentrating all, always on the same object, sometimes it is difficult. So, as the Sarado said, that sometimes we need to to balance by practicing a little bit of metta, or you know, to remind us of the quality of the Buddha, or to do something like a complementary type of uh, meditation, but just for a few minutes, just for a short time, until we get more balance, and after that we go back to our main object of uh, concentration. The point also, I guess you, I guess you got it. You know that thing, is that uh, when we developed very subtle, you know, experience, <laughs> when we develop very subtle experience, then uh, we forget, we we get very attached to that, and we think that this is ultimate and this is very important, and we forget that uh, this is also very important. So when suppose you know we go back home, or, or suppose we are in a position when where. All what we have practiced, like the, the deep samatha, or you know, the practice, you know, if it is like a jhana or things like that, then if it is breaking apart, and then we find ourselves with uh, defilements, or then we should not be discouraged, and we sh- we have to remind ourselves, oh no, this is life, and this is what uh, this is dhamma. Even in uh, in any kind of situation, I can I can keep on going, and uh, I can uh, I can practice. And we, I, I, we don't need to judge, and we don't need to, uh, to uh, just to go for only the subtle. And with the acceptance of what the things are, how we are, and uh, our defect and uh, our strength, then by accepting it, 
we understand it and by un understanding then we can improve in a much more balanced way <coughs> so i think this is the this is the idea <laughs> so i think it's enough for tonight thank you Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.